Welcome to VCast, where church and culture come together. My name is Jacob, and don't forget to follow and subscribe to this podcast to stay updated on new episodes. This month, we'll be talking about missions. Missions is very important to God, so much so that he sent his son Jesus to be a missionary for us. And we know Jesus wants us to carry on his mission. But how do we accomplish that mission? Let's dive into his word and find out. This month, March, we're going to be talking about missions and community and the importance of community in missions. And so we really want to talk about um, and just kind of guide people through the whole entire Bible beginning to end missions. Um, And I think just as a just as a basic concept, starting with God is always the best place to start. And so um, so when it comes to missions and when it comes to community, um, what do we know when it comes to God in terms of that? Yeah, um, I think that the Bible is um, pretty clear on that, especially right. God um, and how he even has community within himself. Right. Um, we see the Trinity play out throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. And we see that God sort of, um, in a way, sort of like seeks counsel in himself, mm. right? That he is um he is a community he is a community yeah so he's like it's not just one one um person it's three persons one being Mm -hmm. but three persons that exist as one right being and um i think that it sort of shows like how community is supposed to look right? right um especially with us as christians we move as one body right right we move as one quote unquote being right we're we're multiple persons all of us Mm -hmm. but one body and i think that um the trinity also displays that as well right yeah because they're um it's like a marriage although me and my wife are separate people we are one in flesh according to what scripture says that the Mm -hmm. two become one flesh and so god himself is three in his persons but one in his essence um we also see too that god isn't alone in the heavens you know he's Mm -hmm. not just sitting up there on a throne by himself uh but but around him he has the and this is something i talked about in a preaching recently too where we talked about the word elohim that elohim is actually a category word it's a lot like the word mom um so like if there was if we were all at a birthday party and we were little kids, all of our moms would probably be there. And although the word mom can refer to multiple moms that are at this party, when I say it, it refers to one specific woman. That's my mom. And so Elohim can really refer to a lot of a lot of things besides just God. It can refer to angels. And we know that in heaven, there is the heavenly council. Um, there's angels, there's seraphim, cherubim, the four living creatures. Um, there's a lot of other beings that just exist. So it's not that that God is in himself. God is a community in the Trinity and that he's surrounded by a community of the heavenly council as well. Mm-hmm. So I think that's pretty interesting. And um, just to like bounce it back to another uh, scripture um, that I think we all know, it's called the Shema, I think, mm-hmm. where um, God says, Hear, O Israel, right. I, um, I am the Lord, the Lord is one. Mm-hmm. I think, I th- it, yeah, he says the Lord is one. And the Hebrew word that he uses for one um, doesn't necessarily mean multiple, but it implies that. Right. So it's not saying, it, it can mean just one. But it can also mean in the same way that two people get married and become one. Mm-hmm. And um, again, I think that's another message of how community is supposed to be. It's one, 
right? That's that's sort of the message that I think in the Shema, God is trying to convey mm-hmm. that I am one, mm-hmm. right? I'm not just three different people yeah. who are just living together. Mm-hmm. We are one in purpose, in being, in oh, the way that right. we think, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that that also shows community as well when he says we're one, not just multiple right. people, but in everything that we do, we are one. Right, because uh, the only, one thing that can really mess up community is disagreement. Yes. And when we are disagreeing with somebody, it brings disagreement, possibly even an argument between two parties. So it's mm-hmm. good to know that we're of one mind, one spirit, one God, who is God over all things. Um, I think that, I, there's a scripture that says that. It says one baptism, one spirit um, that lives in all of us. Um, and so God is a trinity. He is a community. He is surrounded by a community of heavenly beings, but also he created human beings, not just for the sake of creating them and be like, oh, look how pretty they are. You know, like he didn't create us. He didn't create us to just watch us. He created us to be in community with us. Absolutely. Um, As soon as he created Adam and Eve, the Bible says that he would walk in the cool of the garden with Adam and Eve. And so there we see God is in community with people. He's like, I created you, but I don't want to just create you. I want to be amongst my creation. Um, and we know how that ended. You know, we know yeah. that the fall happened and that when they when they chose to eat of the fruit um, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, um, that they rebelled against God, they created a, a um, uh, they created a um, a division between them and God. Um, and, um, and, and the thing that I love too, is that even in the fall, we see a breach of community because when I look at the fall, it's not necessarily what they ate, but who they ate with. Mm-hmm. Um, they, n- not only did they eat what they shouldn't have, but they, they stopped community with God to commune with the serpent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, that's that's where I see that that broken community happens and physical and spiritual death comes upon them. And um, and now we are here. <laughs> and another thing that I think also um, can sort of break community is selfishness, because yeah. that's another thing that we see in the fall as well. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's not only did they commune with um, the serpent, but why did they commune with the serpent? Because they were looking out for themselves. They right. were looking for, in a way, to become like God yeah. themselves. So what happens to communities when people think only right. of themselves? Mm-hmm. You break trust not only, you, you don't only hurt yourself, but you break trust with the people around you as well. Right. And that's exactly what happened. Let me just think about me and my desires. And yeah. now they I think the got kicked out of the garden. Scripture says, seeking to, become, seeking to become wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God for created mm-hmm. things for mortal things the image of the immortal being for mortal things um but even in that sin um in the in this breach of community god still is seeking them out even mm-hmm. though they broke community with god god is saying adam eve well not eve adam and woman um at this point um but he's asking where are you you know, where are you? Who told you you were naked? What is all of this? He's still seeking community, even though they had rebelled against him. And we just see this overwhelming desire within God to, in spite of death, to bring life to situations. 
Um, a couple of scriptures that come to mind, Isaiah uh, 30, uh, chapter 30, verse 18, it says, therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he rises to show you compassion for the Lord is a just God. Blessed are all who wait for him. Right. Like he his desire. He I like the wording at you. He longs to be gracious to you. Right. It's not it's not that God is longing to destroy everybody. God is longing definitely not to show compassion and, and grace. Mm hmm. In a way, I think that there are some scriptures that can really play it out for you. But if you just look at the entirety of the the entirety of the Bible, mm -hmm. you kind of see that happen. But Second Peter three nine, I love it so much, um, and it says, "The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance." So you right. see that God's goal is to have people turn from their sins, because that's what repentance is. Right. It's to turn away from um anything really but in this sense he's meaning from the world yeah that all should reach this point we should all come to the point where we realize that um anything apart from god is just not for us right. and i think that is another way where god is desiring to have community with us mm -hmm. that he desires that we would turn away from it and come back to him correct yeah because because the god our god doesn't delight in in destroying people it's ezekiel 33 11 says as surely as i live declares the lord god i take no pleasure in the death of the wicked right but rather that the wicked should turn right repent from their ways and live turn turn from your evil ways for why should you die O house of israel and, and so i think <laughs> that is that, that's kind of crazy because if we go back to um the last series just to touch on it really quick when oh, we're yeah, talking yeah. about love and god's wrath yeah he doesn't take pleasure in right. his wrath mm -hmm. right it's not something that he wants to do right it, he it, he says it right here he says i take no pleasure even in the death of the wicked like yeah. it doesn't please me mm -hmm. that i have to do these things so just to like have that like those two points connect mm -hmm. that last series and this one god desires community mm -hmm. and he desires that not even those who turn their backs on him would perish right but be led to repentance right i still i still want you back i i look at it as you know like as a parent who uh, you know growing up i grew up in texas i grew up with the you know what is that called uh, corporal punishment where it's like you would go to school and get your butt whooped at school for I, doing I something could bad never i could never <laughs> and um you know like my parents disciplined me and they always had this saying i think some people grew up hearing this this is gonna hurt me a lot more than it hurts you i heard that as a kid it's the stupidest thing i've ever heard Obviously, this is going to hurt me a lot more. But as you become a parent, it, it doesn't please you to hurt your children, right? It doesn't please me that my child is doing something that's unacceptable and that I have to discipline him. You know, that's why a lot of parents don't even hit their kid. Why would I ever hit my kid? I don't want to do that. We know what the Bible teaches. Spare not the rod, right? That this, that that in, a, in an appropriate way that helps discipline children it helps rear them it, but helped me. it doesn't we don't take pleasure i mean yeah, yeah i mean I, I came out really good even in spite of that i'm not a perfect person but yeah. i think that my parents raised me well and even though they disciplined me they never um went beyond the point of abuse um to to discipline um and so i think that in the same way parents don't want to discipline their children because it really hurts them in the same way it hurts god to to have to discipline his children i think even the bible says that um that parents should be sort of God's representatives or they're not representatives, but they display the kind of love that he displays yeah. in the same way. So um, obviously there's a difference between right. beating your kids yeah. and disciplining your kids. Right, right, um, right. And God doesn't beat his children. Correct. Right. 
So neither should parents, Mm -hmm. right? It's the, it's the same concept. We should discipline them. Right. And not only that, like, uh, obviously as a kid, I'm not going to lie. I've had, you know, my, (laughs) my, I've been um, disciplined before and, and I would never think of it as anything other than that. Right. But, um, you see, I've seen many times where even my parents hold their hand back. And we were mm-hmm. talking about that last time, too, oh, where right, God holds right. his yeah. hand back. I've had my parents it. like, no, nah, I shouldn't, right? Mm-hmm. Because even sometimes when they feel like they should, they're like, no. Yeah. Well, let's try and talk this out. Mm-hmm. But even then, sometimes you cross mm-hmm. that line and they're like, I can't just let you keep doing this. If right. the talks aren't going to work, right. if what I'm doing isn't going to work, then, you know. And that's and that's good, too, because that's what the Bible says. It says if you're experiencing the discipline of the Lord, like it says God disciplines those whom he loves, right? Like, are you being disciplined by God? Do you feel like God is disciplining you? Do you feel like God is putting you through the ringer? That's a good thing. It means he loves you. When God just puts his hands back and says, fine, whatever. I'm not going to go, hey, if if there's a kid who's acting up in the supermarket and I'm just like, bro, you know what this kid needs? He needs, he needs, we used to call it papau. He needs a papau. We still call it that. He needs a little, (laughs) he needs a little tap on the booty so that he knows that he shouldn't act that way. But guess what? I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go into a supermarket and just start disciplining children. Number one, I'd get arrested. But number two, I don't care to do that because he's not my child. Mm -hmm. I think one of the cool things too, I love that the conversation led in this direction too, because that's, I think one of the coolest things about the community, uh, the community nature of God is that God doesn't just desire to be King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Yahweh, Elohim, Jehovah Rapha. You know, he doesn't decide to just be God over your life, but rather says, I'm your father, right? Like I'm uh, not like Darth Vader, but <laughs> he, 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 I, the God of the universe decided that he, in all of his ways, in all of his glory and all of his majesty and infinite knowledge, he decides to say, you can call me your father. I want to relate to you the way a father relates to his children, right? Parenthood is only an illustration of the relationship we should have with God. He is our father. Um, Exodus four, uh, chapter four, verse 22. This is the first place where I, I believe God identifies himself as a father and Israel as his children, right? Cause Moses, he tells Moses to go tell Pharaoh. He's like, yo, tell Pharaoh this, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. So God there is claiming fatherhood over Israel, his son. And, you know, like it, because we tend to think of this as like, oh, Jesus, you know, Jesus was the one who said, oh, pray to your heavenly father. And that it was a very new concept. It wasn't. In the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 32, Psalm 103, Jeremiah uh, chapter 3, Jeremiah chapter 31, Isaiah 63 and 64, uh, Malachi chapter 1 and 2, all of these have references to God as a father. Mm -hmm. But not just that. It's not just that he's a loving father, but he calls us his children, mm-hmm. right? And so I know that there are tons of examples of that in Hosea 1, um, Isaiah 1, uh, Exodus chapter 4, which we just read, um, Deuteronomy 14, Hosea 11, uh, Psalms 82, 6. All of these are examples of God calling us his children. Um, I, I think that um, there is a... Like what, especially when he calls us his children, mm-hmm. I think that um, it kind of shows how he is um, sort of placing because it's weird because he sort of places himself over our lives, even though maybe Israel didn't even want it, right? But he's sort of like 
speaking and grabbing out to them and he's like i need to call you to me mm-hmm. right so he's sort of that one that takes that first step and saying that these are my children because i don't think that before this they would have seen it in that way unless god had declared that over them that these are my oh, yeah children it's like who are we yeah who are we to you psalms even says who is yeah. man that you are mindful that you're of mindful of him yeah right. so it's like who who am i and he's like you're my son see that has to come from god it has to yeah, yeah. because it's not something that you can just declare over yourself that makes but you an arrogant god person makes, yeah god makes the declaration over you yeah saying you are my children mm. and then More you meaningful. start to yeah and then you start to think about it you're like whoa this is yeah th- this is it, it's unreal to, yeah. to really think about and i think that that's so beautiful especially when god declares it mm-hmm. over you because it's right. not just something that we say right we don't just say oh we're all children of the most high yeah. you know what i mean because mm-hmm. then it's meaningless in that way we say it because god had first declared it over us mm. so that's what gives it meaning to us and power for yeah. us as well yeah he, he has declared us his children um you know and even then like not everybody is a child of god I think more so than anything, the Bible declares that we're enemies of God. <laughs> and that's what I love. Paul says it. Yeah, yeah. Paul, um, not only Paul, John chapter one. Yeah. Um, where he's like, um, you have been given. A, I would have to like read the whole thing, but he's like, and you have been called because of Jesus. You are now worthy to be called children mm, of God. Yeah. Because of Jesus. Only um, because of Jesus. And, and Paul even says it when he's talking about you've been adopted. So there was a point mm-hmm. when you weren't. And now you've been adopted. Yeah. So we're all image bearers of God. Every single person on the earth is an image bearer of God. But only right. those who are covered in the blood of Christ are worthy to be called sons and daughters. Right, right, right. And so, but we're not natural. Nat, we're naturally, yeah. coming out the womb, we're we're children of wrath. We are mm-hmm. vessels enemies. of wrath. We're enemies of God because we we are inherit a sin nature from, you know, our or fathers and our fathers before our fathers and you know that 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 sin passes because of adam and eve and the decision that they made in the garden now by nature we are sinful but by the by the spirit of adoption and the process of adoption because adoption is beautiful it is um a, a a father and a mother who decide although this child has been abandoned and um you know mine. has yeah it, like that they, they are even though they're not my child they're gonna become my child through the process of, through the adoption process which is one of the most beautiful things that a person can do um is to adopt children because it's taking on a responsibility that isn't mm. yours ain't that like jesus <laughs> that's crazy it is. It's, it's, that's what you do when you adopt. You're taking yeah. on a responsibility that isn't yours, right. but because you're so loving and caring, you say, I'll yeah. make it my responsibility. Right. And I think you're right. That's so beautiful. Even just the regular adoption process mm-hmm. displays sort of that love that Christ has yeah. for us. And there's a couple of scriptures that talk about that too. Ephesians 1, 3. Um, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption for to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. So just like you were saying, we have received adoption right we have been we have been ordained by god to be adopted into his like how can you be predestined to be adopted to me that right there is just like god is like before you were even born 
I had plans to adopt you. And I'm like, wow. According to the foreknowledge of God, he's like, why? Because everybody's born into sin. Yeah. And so my automatic plan is adoption. You're, you're going to become one of my kids. How? Through Jesus, though. You try to go any other way. I think that's what Jesus tries to illustrate in that. He was like, you know, if, if I came to your house and I knocked on your front door, right? You're going to check your little ring device and go, oh, it's Jeremy. <laughs> but if I tried to come through your back window, I'm, I'm not a friend. Yeah. Good people who come through the front door are people who are welcome. But when somebody tries to enter the house any other way, they're considered a thief and a robber. And Jesus says, you try to enter into the kingdom of God in any other way but me. You're nothing but a thief and a robber. The way, the truth, and the life. Mm -hmm. I am the way, the truth, the life. And so Jesus is saying adoption as sons and daughters is only through me and only found in me. Amazing. Um, Ephesians 2.19 says it. Um, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Oh, right? Aliens are confirmed in the Bible. Aliens confirmed in the Bible. It actually uses the word aliens. <laughs> but alien just means like, yeah, a foreigner. Foreigner. <laughs> um, and Isaiah 56.4, right? Um, this was one you brought up. I love this one. So I'll read it because <laughs> I just, I thought it was amazing. So actually, Jesus, I got it because Jesus, I think, paraphrased it. Right. And he points back to it and I'm like, that sounds like it's in the Old Testament. So then we went up and we looked for it and then we read the whole thing and we were like, dude, this is crazy. So let's go into it. Isaiah 56, four, it says, for thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples some translations say all nations right as well and it that's that's crazy that's the part that jesus quotes right um the verse seven that my house shall be called a house of prayer for yes all nations. yeah right. and i think that's the part where we quoted it from because i think he says it is not written that my house shall yeah. be called a house for all god's peoples. inclusiveness to the foreigner right like it's not just my legitimate children israel but also those who are not children of god and, and you think about how crazy that would be to hear that as a Jew, to hear their offerings will be accepted at my altar, mm. their burnt offerings and sacrifices. And um, I think when Jesus had said it, they actually got mad, the crowd. Oh, of course. When he, when he said that, because they were like... That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> but it's so... Like, I've always thought that was so weird. It's like, Jesus is quoting Old Testament stuff. Why are you getting upset about it? I never right. understood that. Like, aren't yeah. you guys, especially with like the Pharisees and all that stuff, aren't you guys like, this is... Yeah. You've literally studied this the entire time, and then Jesus brings it up, and you're like, "Oh, I don't like that." <laughs> it's, like, it's in the scripture. Just <laughs> yeah, I, I that that's one thing that's always baffled me: the mm -hmm. fact that they can get so upset when he's quoting to them literal scripture. Is it not written? And then they're like, "Yeah, yeah, we're gonna stone you now." <laughs> right. I guess I guess there's a certain sense of pride within like the scribes and the Pharisees specifically because they're the ones who really get triggered by it. It's because their interpretation of scripture, how they interpreted it at that time, was 
incorrect and jesus is bringing about old testament scripture to say hey no that's not correct this is what mm-hmm. the heart of god is and that that's what we're talking about we're talking about what is the heart of god the heart of god is missions right my uh, god's heart is for community his desire is to give life his desire is to forgive and be gracious and his desire is um uh, to he has a very strong familial nature right i'm the father these are my children and i and anybody who is not one of my children come and get adopted <laughs> through jesus that is the invitation so so we see that god's nature by nature is reconciliation right God's desire is to be reconciled with his people. Um, reconciliation is is to restore friendly relationships between two parties, right? And so there's an unspoken truth in the word reconciliation, right? Because if two parties need to restore a friendship, then it carries the implication that the relationship was broken to begin with. And so we see that that in order for reconciliation to happen, right, um, there needs to be a brokenness. And that happened in the fall, right? Because there's a lot of different words for sin. So like in Hebrew, um, there's the word chata or kata. Um, it means sin. It means to miss the mark. This is the, the normal word for sin. Um, and um, it was like an archery term that was used for, hey, I didn't, I didn't hit the target. Um, it's to miss a moral standard right it's to it's to be off from a moral standard um there's the word avon uh which is translated iniquity in english um this is a like twisted or crooked behavior it it implies that there's a very um uh twisted version or the way that somebody's acting is very very like evil evil yeah yeah and then you have the last one which is pesha and pesha is translated as the word transgression so in the bible we always see that we always see it says that that god wants to forgive sin iniquity and transgressions and it's like don't they all just mean sin? Not necessarily. See, Pesha means to break trust in a relationship. It's its own classification of sin because um, it's wrong to rebel or to um, or to uh, break somebody's trust. That's that's a very bad thing. Um, Jesus even says it. He says, let your yes be a yes and your no be a no. Don't break that trust. Be a man of your word. Mm-hmm. Correct. And so because we have Pesha, we have broken relationship with God. And when somebody breaks your trust, it, it takes a long time to try to restore that relationship, um, if it can even be restored at all. Um, so when somebody breaks our trust, it's really hard to forgive them, right? Um, it's hard to forgive them, and it's even harder to forget what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, not, not, not that necessarily you are going to forget or you should, because I can forgive somebody, but it's very, very difficult to, to forget what happened. So how does God feel about our sin? Um, I think that God is obviously very hurt by our sin. And I think that goes without saying, um, that God is in every way he tries to be patient and compassionate. But, um, I know that Jeremiah says that, um, God is, I forgot where in Jeremiah, but he says, um, it it sort of shows his emotion when he's saying how long, um, have I not like struggled with you or. Oh, how yeah. long have I like something how long have like I that. not strived with you or, or something, something like that? Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, know I, I don't know about. if it's Jeremiah, but I know it says it somewhere. Like, how long have I not just been mm-hmm. like struggling with you guys? Long suffering. But um, I think we can go to some other scriptures as well mm-hmm. that um paint the picture a little clearer. Exodus 34, 6. Oh, we talked about this one in yes. the last podcast. We did. Um, It says, 
Then the Lord passed in front of Moses and called out, The Lord, the Lord God, is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving devotion and faithfulness, maintaining loving devotion to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. He will visit the iniquity of the fathers on their children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. And his his goal, like like in all of this, is is his desire is to reconcile. He cannot, you know, just simply ignore sin. Right? Mm-hmm. Sin has to be punished; otherwise, he's no longer just. So he has to he has to punish sin, but he doesn't want to punish sin. He doesn't want to. Um, you know, like even if you looked at the concept of hell, a lot of people are like, why would a loving God create health and put throw people in hell? And it's like, well, two things that are incorrect with that. Number one, God didn't create hell for people because people were made in his image. They were meant to if if we were so evil, God would have thrown us into hell instead of the garden. Right. So the idea was that because we were made in the image of God, we, he didn't create hell for us. Hell was created for the rebellious angels and demons and, you know, or, or, or Satan. Right. Like he's the one that hell was created for. And everybody that rebelled against God would end up there. Then his own creation rebels against them. And then honestly, it's not that God puts you there. We kind of walk there. We're following in the footsteps of, of Satan and the angels that followed him. In that we are choosing to rebel against God, we're choosing to define good and evil on our own terms, and by so doing, we march straight into the gates of hell ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not necessarily that God has to send us there, but we have a loving God who doesn't want to do that. He's like, I want to forgive your sins. I want to, even in this scripture, you were just reading it in verse 7 in Exodus 34, 7. He says what? He forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. We see all three present. Even in Micah seven eighteen, it says, "Who who is a God like you? who pardons iniquity and passes over transgression, right? Of the remnant of his inheritance, who does not retain his anger forever because he delights in loving devotion. And that word loving devotion sounds familiar, right? That's that chesed love, right? The the idea that he he wants to... Um, he wants to show us loving devotion. And if you don't understand what uh, chesed is, you have to go back and watch our love in action episode. Um, yes. That's where we kind of talk about that. So just a little plug to go back and, and watch some of that. So, so yeah, we're talking about God and that he loves us and he desires to be with his people, even though they've fallen away from him. And we see that, that even though we're running away from him, he's always running towards us. Right. There's like this chase that we see in scripture. Um, uh, God desiring to forgive and to show us loving devotion, uh, loving kindness, faithful, devoted to us. He delights in showing faithful love. So reconciliation looks like people running away from God, but God just running towards us. And each step he takes towards us is just motivated by love and kindness. Right. Um, Jeremiah 50 verse 6. My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray, turning them away on the mountains. From mountains to hill they have gone. They have forgotten their fold. Um, God is saying, like, you're my sheep and you've been led astray by by bad shepherds, right? Um, Isaiah 53, 6. All we are like sheep and have gone astray. We've turned away um, every one of us to his own way. And the Lord has laid the iniquity of us all. And that's and that's and that's why we bring these examples up because we're talking about God always having to chase us. But why would God have to chase us if we were standing put? Mm-hmm. No, the 
thing is that we're sheep and we have a tendency to get lost. Um, you ever seen like people herd sheep? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. like when one starts to go off, they have to like get around it and push mm-hmm. it back in because yeah. it just gets like distracted mm-hmm. and it'll just start to yeah. veer off. So you got to like herd it back mm-hmm. into it. Sometimes you even have to hit them. Santo. Hello. <laughs> Some, you do sometimes. Sometimes you can just like, hey, hey, like just say, well, yep. you're going the wrong way. And if they're not listening, they'll take like the stick and they'll just like, yo, get back yeah. in. You know that it's actually kind of interesting that, that I, I did some research into this before. Did you know there's a difference between shepherds in the east and shepherds in the west? No. So so sheep, people who herd sheep for a living in the west, in western society, they herd sheep from behind. So a man will stand, he'll have a herd of sheep, and he'll use dogs or other creatures, and he pushes the sheep to go in the direction that he wants them when he does that the sheep will tend to wander left so he'll have to send a dog to corral them to the right to try to get them into their pens but did you know in the east shepherds didn't have to do that they cared for their sheep in such a way that the sheep weren't scared of their shepherds they would literally just call the sheep and the sheep would come running after them right all they had to do and i think jesus even makes reference to this it says the sheep know their shepherd's voice and will not listen to another Mm -hmm. but that's us we're sheep and we have that tendency to wander but thanks be to god that we have a good shepherd jesus who calls us by name and we come running to him because good sheep will listen to their shepherd and won't wander i mean jesus says it best when he goes through the parable of the lost sheep right that he's seeking and i will leave the 99 and go after the one if i have to so i think that's pretty pretty cool I love that. Mm-hmm. That God is so focused on getting every single one back to right. Him that if He had to leave the masses, mm-hmm. He would chase yeah. the one. Mm-hmm. And because um, that's something that I, I I want people to like get is that our, your faith is very personal with God. And although we come to church and we have community, and that's what we're stressing. Right. There's also that personal mm-hmm. connection that God has with us yeah. that we see here in this lost, um, the the sheep parable, right. where he leaves the 99 to chase the one because your relationship with God is very personal. Yeah. Right. Um, it would never happen. But if like, let's say you just walked away from the faith, mm-hmm. would that affect me? No, it wouldn't. Right. Because mine is very personal. And although we're a community and it would hurt to lose someone, um, yeah. at the end of the day, God is chasing you. Yeah, right? yeah, he's chasing you. He's not chasing. He is chasing all of us, mm-hmm. but he's chasing you personally. Right. And I think that that really, really makes you feel important. It makes me feel important as mm-hmm. well, knowing that God is after me, right. Jacob. Yeah, it's he's a very personal at me. thing. He's chasing after me. Yeah, and and you realize that too when you start discipling people. Like as a pastor, I've discipled and mentored people, but one of the things that happens is that if you don't do it correctly people's relationships with with God will be hinged on you. And when you're out of the picture, they fall away. And it's that's, and that shows a concept where it's like, man, I, if you're going to disciple somebody, you have to teach them to have a personal relationship with Jesus. That doesn't have to go through a a third party. Mm -hmm. You know, who is the mediator between God and man, but Jesus Christ himself. Mm -hmm. But, but yeah, so, so God, 
by nature desires to forgive, desires community. He's very patient, very loving, very kind. And even though we're like sheep that are led astray, we know that the good shepherd leaves the 99 to come after the one. Um, but one of the things that God is another, the last thing that I believe is in the nature of God was number one, it's community. Number two, it's reconciliation. He desires community. He desires to, to reconcile with his creation, but not just that he wants to proclaim that reconciliation. So proclamation is an important part of being a Christian. Um, it's important part of our faith. Like I have to proclaim the gospel because that's what God wants me to do. And so again, I said in the last podcast, God's never going to expect something out of you that he's not willing to do himself. So what does God do? He proclaims, right? Um, Genesis three fourteen. Um, verses 14 and 15. This is in theological terms. They call it the proto-euangelion. Um, euangelion is kind of where we get the word evangelism from. Um, it, it means good news. It is the proto-first euangelion good news. So the first good news, the first gospel message is actually found in the book of Genesis. It happens right after the fall right in Genesis 3. Man and woman fall into sin. They dine with the serpent. And then God says, um, he starts telling them, hey, this is going to be the consequences of your actions. And he looks to the serpent and he tells them this, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And then this really weird verse where he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Who's he? This mysterious person that God is mentioning, right? right? It's, it's like nobody knows who that is. And I think that um, in the Old Testament, nobody knew who this person was. Right. Yeah, they make reference to someone. You know, you see it all the time when the yeah. prophecies shall be born of a virgin. Mm -hmm. But who is this person right. that is coming some thought it was david right. david comes mm -hmm. and they're like oh it's him nope he fell as well yeah. so who is this person this is who we're waiting for mm -hmm. this person that all the way from the beginning yeah. of mankind in genesis god has proclaimed right. will come and he will receive a blow but that blow mm -hmm. will be what is needed for to, to save humanity right um isaiah 53 that he will be pierced for our transgressions, right? Right. There's someone is coming, and he is going to be like he's going to suffer, right? And um, yeah, that, that he must, shall that's, bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. So I'm going to deal with the serpent because he's talking to the serpent. Yes, there's a guy that's going to come. He's going to crush your head, and and you're going to hurt him back. But this is the way that God proclaims the first gospel message: is that somebody is coming one day to deal with satan sin death so yes yeah, this is the first good news that god has a plan from genesis chapter 3 i already got a plan right mm -hmm. y'all messed everything y'all messed this up but you can never mess up my plan and my plan is going to come to pass at the right point in time this is the message of reconciliation and so how does god get this message out right like god is like i'm going to i want people to know that th that I have a plan in mind to m to reconcile my people back to myself, mm -hmm. and so he wants to communicate this message. So what does he do? 
He sends messengers, right? Isn't that cool? There's the sending nature of God, which I really, really love, is that within his nature, God will send, has a sending nature to send people, right? He's, how many times has he sent angels to, to deliver messages, right? He sends angels to visit Abraham in Genesis 18. He sends angels to rescue Lot in Genesis 19. He, uh, well, this one's more of like an assassination attempt, um, but Balaam and the donkey. <laughs> I he sends I an angel, um, uh, and and honestly, there there's that 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 angel is referred to the angel of death. Yeah, it, that yeah, I think that's a very specific angel as well. We we hear about it in the well, we hear about it a couple of times. I think we hear about it with Moses, where yeah. they put it. They, you have to put mm-hmm. the lamb's blood over your door Passover. because the angel of death is going to come. Yeah, because death will pass um, over. Warning, Balaam. Mm-hmm. That's the angel of death, literally trying to I kill the man. Think it is right because you try to assassinate him, so it's like it must be that. Yeah, because I, I can't, I can't think of any other time that an angel has actually been sent to kill a person. <laughs> like, He's I, like I yo, take him out. Oh, yeah. I just punched this thing. <laughs> yo, yo, take him out. Take him out. Send a hit out because that I think that story, Passover and Revelations, is the only time where you hear of an angel like this. Right, someone trying to kill somebody. Hey, I'm gonna make you an offer. You can't <laughs> forget about it. All right. Oh, and and he doesn't just send angels. Yeah, he sends people. And I think that he sends people more often than angels mm. because he wants people to be involved in that sending. Yeah. Right. So I I think that that again, like I I love the fact of how much value we're given. Right. Because God sends angels, of course, and He's done it like a lot before. But how many more times has He sent people mm-hmm. to do it? It's an honor to participate in a divine nature right like god is saying hey i'm gonna proclaim the good news i'm he's constantly proclaimed his word but he says but i want you to be a part i want you to own this so i'm gonna send you to proclaim my word right why me god i have got a speech impediment i've got a stuttering problem i i, I don't i don't know how to talk i just i'm not skilled and god goes okay so I'll send a partner with you, right? Like, what do you, God is like, hey, no matter how insignificant you feel or how much uh, inferior you feel, which we're going to talk about this on another another one, um, no matter how inferior you feel, God is like, I'm still going to use you. I yeah. use broken people because honestly, I get the glory out of that because then people go, there's no way that this guy couldn't do this on his own strength, but, but God, you know? Um, but yeah, he sends people, he sends uh, Moses, Right. Um, he sends um, judges. Uh, judges. He sends kings. He sends prophets, um, especially specifically Jonah, which Jonah. I know we're going to be talking about those two with small groups and things like that, which is actually pretty interesting because Jonah was sent to foreigners. Yeah, it, it goes back. Like I was just going to say, it goes back to uh, the reconciliation mm-hmm. and God's desire to even um, have foreigners come in and that's i think it's what popped up into my head immediately when we were talking about this that um is there an example of god sending someone to go speak to foreigners you know jonah mm-hmm. definitely because the people of nineveh were very pagan and in yeah. fact so pagan that jonah really didn't even want to go over there he was like mm, no nineveh is a bad place to be i don't want to be anywhere near there but so he tries to run again and god's like nope i've i've called you to do this, right? right? Because you're the person that I want to get it done, right? right. And, and I think that um, we see it as well, like in Moses. Like if Moses isn't going to do it, I'll just get a Joshua, right? If Moses is going to mess up, I'll do it. But we see in Jonah that God is 
God, why didn't God just get somebody else after Jonah tried to run away? Right? Mm-hmm. Moses had messed up, so he was like, okay, Joshua, your turn. You know, you do it. But Jonah is not the same story. Yeah. He's trying to get as far away from Nineveh and God as possible. And God's like, no, I've called you for a specific purpose. And I don't want anybody else to do it but you, again, to that personal relationship yeah. with God. That I don't want to see somebody else do this. I want you to do it. Yeah. And that's so crazy to me. And he sent him to a people. And Jonah literally goes in the complete opposite direction of Nineveh. <laughs> he did go as far, like, as far away as he can. Everyone's, everyone's seen VeggieTales. They've had to. <laughs> the, the story of Jonah, when, yeah. it, when they're playing like goldfish while the storm is going on. <laughs> I, freak, I love that so much. But he literally gets on a boat trying to run away, as like VeggieTales puts mm-hmm. it, because I just love that so much. He's running away from God. Right. He's trying to get away from God. He's like, no, I, I don't want to go. I'm trying to run away from this thing that you've called me to, but it's what we're supposed to do. Yeah. And and one of the funny things, too, was that he got swallowed up by a fish, mm-hmm. giant fish, that swallows him whole. And he gets put through hell. And you're like, God, what? Like, he just calls, calls out to God. He repents. He feels guilty. And he says, you know what, God, I'll do it. I'll do it, God. And then God is like, I already know you're going to do it. And then the, the fish throws him up on the shore of Nineveh. Maybe the suffering you're going through is just an Uber for your destiny. Oh, right. Like <laughs> he used the fish. He's like the whole time. He's like, I don't know why I'm going through all this garbage. And he's like, no, it's just your Uber. I'm just trying to get you where you need to be. Mm-hmm. Like God will sometimes use hell in our life to try to get us to where we should be. Because we're running far away from where God has called us. And sometimes God will put something in our life to get us where we need to be. And uh, <laughs> like a funny part of that story, I write that too, down later. <laughs> that was really good. But another funny part of that story, too, wasn't Jonah when he went and preached. It was super simple because he really didn't want to be there. He was like, repent. Yeah. And they were like, oh, my gosh, I need to repent. Yeah. Like it was that simple of a message, too. He didn't even mm-hmm. go through a whole bunch of stuff or a bunch of stories of the Old Testament. He's like, I don't want to be here, so I'm just going to repent. And they're yeah. like, oh, my gosh, even the king of Nineveh began mm-hmm. to repent. And then he sits outside and waits for it to be destroyed. Yeah. But. And so God is sending messengers. And there's one messenger in particular that I, for me is the most fascinating. Amongst all of the messengers, there's this one messenger that he always sends. Uh, and they the, this one is titled the Angel of Yahweh, the Angel of the Lord. If you see it in your Bible, it'll say the Angel of the Lord, all capital letters. And it's very different from other angels like this. This angel doesn't shy away from worship for some reason, because most angels, like if you worshiped an angel, they'd be like, yo, what in the world? You trying to get us both killed? Like, <laughs> no, man, worship belongs to God only. Get up off your knee, get off your knees and stop worshiping me. Only worship God. But this angel is like totally OK with it at times. And then um, this is the same angel of the Lord that speaks from the. Uh, burning bush this is the same angel of the lord that wrestles with jacob right this is the same angel of the lord that meets joshua at jericho um and gives him the battle strategy this is the same he calls himself the commander of the armies of the ho- the lord of hosts or, i forget what it's called and then uh and then in daniel 3 it's the fourth man in the furnace with shadrach meshach abednego when they're inside the furnace burning alive they're like they're not being burnt alive how many people do we throw in there three why do I see a fourth 
And what did he? What is it that say? Um, so yeah, because I was like reading Daniel, so yeah. I love that we brought this up because I remember what he said. He was um, Nebuchadnezzar. He looks into the furnace, and mind you, the furnace was so hot that the guards that threw them in there were burned. Oh yeah, and they, they weren't got, even in the fire. They were toast. They were toasted. They weren't even in the fire. But he looks in and he says, "The fourth man, he has an appearance as one of the sons of gods." He says he has an appearance of a son of a god. He looks like he's the son of a god. Mm -hmm. That's the look of this person who's in there. And um, this goes back like, who is this mysterious figure that we keep on seeing? And he's at major events in the the, the Old Testament. Testament, Burning bush, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Joshua at Jericho, a huge event where, um, and then he tells him, this is what you need to do. Right. So he, he not only comes to just make a like a big entrance, but he's coming to sort of like line things up. Right. And he's sort of like putting everything together. This is what you need to do. So who one, who is this angel that comes in, receives worship, gives commands mm-hmm. not and not from God. Right. right. Um, because when an angel comes, it says, um, like with Gabriel, it says mm-hmm. the Lord says that you will have it. He doesn't say the Lord. He was like, yeah. I, I need you to do this. Yeah. So who is this like take your sandals off? You're standing on holy ground. Right? Who's yeah, like who, who what kind of angel is this that has this authority? See, and the thing is too that 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 in and of itself right there, the question of who is this? That's what Jacob asked. And and that was one of the most beautiful moments because he's wrestling this angel. This angel is overpowering him, but he's striving and he's doing his best. And the angel's like, "All right, I'm 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 kind of tired, so just displaces his hip, which I hear is one of the most painful injuries that you can receive. Dislocated and, hip. Yeah, dislocated his hip and and the bone from the hip. And he had to walk with a limp for the rest of his life because of it. Um, but even then, he like dislocates his hip. He's writhing in a- agony, bro. Just, you know, he's on the ground <laughs> rolling around because his hip is probably. But then all of a sudden, as that angel, the angel of the Lord is walking away, there's this grabbing of the ankle. Jacob. Oh. <laughs> that's literally oh, what yeah. it means yeah when it means he, the, he the heel grabber out. yeah it also means liar jacob but um so <laughs> but but yeah the the heel grabber because that's what jacob did on the way when esau is on the way out he grabs his brother's heel he does the same thing to this angel and he says stop i won't let you go until you bless me and he asks the angel who are you or like what is your name and the angel's like, why do you ask? You know? And and it was the best question because the angel was like, oh, I would love to tell you, but my hour has not yet come. Yeah. I'll just leave that as a hint in what direction this is going. But this interdimensional messenger, Jacob asks him, what is your name? Why do you ask? He doesn't even tell him his name. And then he blesses him after he asks his name. So who is this angel? You'll have to tune in for our next podcast. And we're going to talk about that a little bit at the very beginning and just kind of get into it. So this is really good. This is a long one. We appreciate you guys for sticking around. (laughs) This is the first time we've left you guys on a cliffhanger. So we have to leave a cliffhanger. We have to. to Because this next one is going to be insane. Absolutely. So thank you guys for tuning in. Love you guys. We'll see you guys soon. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. We appreciate you taking time out to listen to the word of God. Take a second and give this podcast a like and share it with friends and family. This greatly helps out our channel and affects our reach in our communities. 
please look us up at Viva Church and subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook.